Hello. Thank you for calling our Confinement Anxiety Helpline. To better assist you, please select one of the following options. For life-fulfilling prophecies, press 1. For door-to-door -door delivery of recreational narcotics, press 2. For our 100 recipes with ramen noodle solution app, press 3. For your stockbroker, press 4. All other callers should regularly listen to the From the Cheap Seats podcast. Take me out to the ball game. Uh. Let's go. Take me out. What were your impressions of this historic series? I have an impression, Mr. Halkley. All right, Bernice, uh, please share. My colleague Computers and I have found a secret message in the Baby Shark song when played backwards. This isn't the LSD-addicted Beatles of the 1970s. It's a modern children's song, Bernice. A secret message sounds extremely unlikely, but, but who are these colleagues you were referring to? IBM's Watson. Now, wait a minute. I thought you compared him to an Elmo doll earlier this year. That is correct. But he's okay as a last-minute Tinder date. Things are tough out there. Just, please listen. Okay, I'm afraid I can't hear anything, Bernice. What, what, what secret message are you and Watson hearing? We're debating. It is either be sure to drink your oval time, or Geraldo Pera is the Antichrist. <laughs> okay, 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 let's turn that off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to From the Cheap Seats, your favorite podcast for Frank unapologetic and shamelessly opinionated Washington Nationals news outside the press box, the dugout, and the very informative stadium urinals. My name is Thad Helsley, and I am joined by my two brilliant co-hosts. First is Max Scherzer's personal massage therapist. Yes, I am Max Scherzer's personal masseuse. <laughs> God help me. And last but certainly not least, three-time Miss Congeniality winner, Bernice. Very funny, Mr. Halkley. Remember, I'm the only one with evidence that you flunked the first grade. How dumb do you have to be to flunk the first grade? Well, I'm a very late bloomer, Bernice. So, Cassie and Bernice, between October 3rd and October 30th, the Nats played 16 postseason games and we created five podcasts over that same period, about four and a half hours of published material. Cassia, I think you'll agree our fans don't come to us for highlights and recaps from the games themselves. That's what ESPN and its competitors do. Isn't that right? Yes. Okay. So, therefore, I, I think what I'm picking out here are uh, uh, less of recap-type stuff and more of uh, insights into the odysseys and the occurrences that happened during the postseason. So also, as I was going through all this material, I initially thought we would respect the chronology of the postseason. But then as I started I, as go, going through it, I was like, okay, some of these topics should be organized together because our views on certain matters, especially yours, <laughs> either evolved or zigzagged over that 27-day period. So uh, we're going to – different organizing principle. Is that okay? I'm thrilled. Okay. I care about it. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're going to be nonlinear, it might be helpful for our listeners to have a review of the chronological context of those 16 games. 
then we can go nonlinear. So Kasia, can you help us with that summary? After the unexpected late inning comeback win of the wild card game, the Nats went on to face the heavily favored Dodgers in the National League Division Series. It was a hard fought matchup and the two teams used all five games, but the Nats finally won the last game, 7-3 in 10 innings. The championship series against the Cardinals was even more unlikely. The Nats sweep the Cardinals in four back-to-back -back wins of a possible seven games. Buoyed by their odds-beating successes, the Nats seemed to be a juggernaut. But the Astros were not going to cooperate in the World Series itself. After winning the first two games in Houston, the boys went on to lose three games in a row in their own sold-out stadium before their shocked and crestfallen fans. But back in Houston, the Nats found their magic again, despite the booing Houston fans. They forced a Game 7, which they won in nine innings. All right. Thank you, Kasia. That was very, very good. Thank you. So, Kasia, after our wild card episode, we were unable to record a new pod until after the Nats went through the full five-game series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. But one of the most interesting sections of that pod was about Daniel Hudson, a mid-season July trade GM Mike Rizzo did after Sean Doolittle began to falter as our closer. So Hudson is 33 years old, appeared to be at the short end of his career, but Rizzo made a Moneyball-style calculation and picked him up to sub for Doolittle. Now, it turned out to be a great idea because he successfully closed dozens of tight games for us in the second half of the season. Without Hudson, there would have been no playoffs because Doolittle was completely off his game after the All-Star game. But then Hudson, our at the time star closer, takes paternity leave in the middle of the playoffs for the birth of his third child. So here's our right. commentary on the matter. The timing, if you're in a profession, <laughs> it's like, you know, and there's, there's a, there's a um, voluminous options in the birth control arena, right? So, and obviously everybody knows how this stuff works. So to say, hey, let's, 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 let's fly naked, honey, uh, yeah. because if we have a baby, it'll be right in the middle of the World Series. <laughs> it's just a bizarre timing. Well, I don't when, know. When was the kid born? Well, he's he probably tomorrow. Oh, okay. So the kid is about to. Well, yeah. Look, they probably he may be, he come. may come back for the. They said he may come back for the Saturday game, but I mean, it's just like I don't know. Let me tell you, if yeah. I was a professional baseball player mm -hmm. and I was a father, yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't you say okay these months? I mean, just knowing no, the nine-month no, no. thing. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about planning. I'm saying okay. if I was in a situation where my kid is going to be born on in the, the middle day, of the championship series, in the middle of the series, yeah, I, I, I would play my game. Okay, well, he's not. I'm doing a father. That. You don't need fathers to have babies in the moment. No, you that's true. Need, you don't need them in the delivery room. Okay, but he he you said he's it. not coming. He said he's not coming. He's going to be there for the birth of his kid. 
Well, that's fine. I'm just saying I wouldn't. I don't think I would do that if the situation was worse. I really don't. Well, he is, and nobody <laughs> has given him any grief about it. Nobody's given him grief about wanting to be there for the birth of his child. I mean, I was there for the birth of you, but he. What they are saying is, or what some people are whispering is like. Could have kind of figured this out a little bit. I mean, it's not like you're like a 17-year-old person in the back of a car. You've got, already had two kids. You know about family well, I'm not, planning. I'm not shaming them for that. I don't think they should have planned around the World Series. First of all, if he knew he was going to be in the Nats, which he didn't, it would have been good planning to be like, oh, yeah, we can have a baby during the World Series because we definitely won't be in there. Well, I'm just saying like, they only work six months out of the year. So they've got a ton. I mean, based, you know, no, if you're not, if you're going to fly naked. No, I'm not, I don't care about that okay. argument at all. Like, what are right. you supposed to do? Sit there, come on, who knows? But in when, once you're in the situation and maybe the baby's coming and you could play, I would play. I would play. Because, like, why i mean i don't know where is he he's in dc uh i imagine where well you know a lot of these guys don't live here they only live here like a senator does in a condo and their actual family lives somebody else because they just they just acquired him like two months three months ago exactly she probably lives wherever wherever he lived before yeah yeah he's probably in san francisco or something like that yeah so, yeah, I think it's kind of dumb. Whatever, we can do it without him. I don't think it's going to come down to Hudson being there tonight. But, yeah, I, I just... But Hudson's been doing good, so if Doolittle goes in there and he blows it, everybody's going to go, right. Hudson! Well, we need... It's we just need... like, it's so bad, because that little baby's going to grow up. It's like, I blew the World Series in 2019. Yeah, that, that baby's going to be... <laughs> for the rest of his life yes exactly well i mean hudson's the one that got the win for the last game yes well so yeah he got us through the ninth and uh Doolittle came in in 10 well um, he's the one credited with the win is yeah what I'm saying. is that what it says okay yeah <laughs> yes and i said that earlier when you we did. were recording you did he's the one that that got it so look Whatever. Babies get born. Yeah. The world keeps spinning. Okay. Yep. yep. Baseball still happens. Yep. I don't I don't think it is really again, it's just, it's their third kid. I mean, come on. You've seen one baby, you've seen them all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you yeah, say so. Especially if that, that Ask kid your mom if she feet. thinks it that way. Exactly. Out of it there. So, Kasia, what do you, what do you think? Boy, you are you, you had an opinion there. I stand by what I said. Um, although in that game, if I recall, the guy who replaced him did really well, and we won, right? Um. Well, let's see. That was after I forget the chronology. Right after it was, it, yeah, yeah. We swept the Cardinals. We won every single game, and it, it's also so the kid is not going to be uh, scarred for life because he went on. He came back a few days later, and he ended up actually winning Game Seven, closing Game Seven of the World Series for us. So he was out there. You know, he got those last three outs. So he was the big hero you know, other than Strasburg. 
uh, do uh, hardly anybody mention Doolittle. So nobody even remembered, you know, that he had, you know, taken time off to be a dad. So, you know, good for, he got everything. He got everything. And the kid gets to be a World Series baby. Well, he would have been a World Series baby one way or the other. But there's Daddy a difference if you win or lose. There. Like you had said, he'd be emotionally scarred for life if it was said, oh, it was the baby's fault that we lost. <laughs> the oh, unborn yeah, totally. baby's fault. He'd be hated more than Bryce Harper by Nationals people. In fact, yeah, there'd be things like, you know, Futurama. that would be Bryce Harper and the baby like running down the street and all these angry fans <laughs> chasing him. <laughs> <laughs> Over the uh, the five episodes, well, the frequent frequent uh, references uh, by you, especially to the learners, um, <laughs> which I thought I would play back a couple of them to you, and then see where you kind of stand now in retrospect. I just wanted to to mention a couple strange synchronicities. So uh, we win in that four game sweep on October 15th, and that turns out to be the 94th birthday of Na- Washington Nationals owner, Ted Lerner, right? The Ted Lerner is the owner of the Washington Nationals. Um, we finally win the pennant on his birthday. Is this man beloved by God, or is he just the luckiest son of a bitch that ever lived? Um... That one's yours. I, I <laughs> well, I don't know if you because um, TBS did cover a little bit of the post game stuff, and Masson picked it up. There were some things that that were missing, but he was out there, Mister Lerner, Ted Lerner at ninety four. He looked pretty spry. For 94, man, he was running around. I mean, he wasn't drinking champagne out of the bottle, but he was, you know, hugging guys and was like, wow, that guy doesn't look 94 to me. He's like, looks like 70-something. First of all, Mr. Lerner, I know you want to address this great crowd here. What a birthday present for you, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And I want to tell our fans, this is for you. But um, so he's, you know, he amazingly spry. Obviously his dream. Obviously his dream. Now his son, who he only retired. <laughs> he, um, he only, I mean, he's technically still the owner, but he, he only retired from actually personally managing the team last year when he was 93. And his son, who's probably in his late 60s or something, Mark, uh, has been running things and um, uh, and maybe always was sort of running things in the background, but who knows? But he, you know, he he spoke uh, a little more uh, effusively. But it was it was pretty interesting. People are not are not pooping on the learners at the moment, you know. When it was the Bryce Harbor contract and the Rendon contract, it was the learners. We hate the learners, but <laughs> they kind of like the learners at least temporarily. Um, you know, we got no here. one likes the learners. No one likes the learners just because they've stopped shitting on them for a brief period of time doesn't mean anyone <laughs> likes them. Well, I don't know um, if anybody likes any owner, do they? In any sports team? No. We <laughs> hate billionaires who run our lives. Um, that's not true. People actually love and admire billionaires that's or millionaires. 
that's why we have a super president. But well, okay, good point. Some people hate them. Some people they 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 admire them at the same time as they resent them, and they're fascinated by them. So it's a complicated thing. Okay, hold on. We got another one. Okay, can I say <laughs> another thing about the learners? Okay. I mean, oh my God, I can't believe they yep. have this thing. They're standing on the stage. They're getting this award. The learners get the microphone. They're kind of interviewing people. They talk to Rizzo. They talk to Davey. They talk to Zim. Right. And then they go to the learners. And he says, Mark, I know how important baseball is to your family. You guys have had a lot of regular season success, but had a hard time in the postseason. You break through in the best way possible. Yeah, it's uh, it's very sweet. You know, it may be a few years later than we what we expected, but Mike and his baseball ops staff did an amazing job. Davey and his coaches and the staff did a great job. He said, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. It came a few years later than we wanted it. He's taking a jab at all the guys on that team, he's taking a jab at Matt Williams, he's taking a jab at Dusty, he's, but not just Dusty, also Matt Williams, also all the guys on that team that were expected to be World Series guys, like Bryce Harper, Jason Wirth, Danny Murphy, blah, 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 blah. I just thought that was so inappropriate, and I was like, wow, wow. It, it's sort of like if you're the... Um father of the bride and you know you get the microphone at the reception you're like well you know i really wanted her to marry oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. successful doctor lawyer guy but she exactly. got this douchebag exactly. and i guess she's married but what the fuck but at least she's married so- <laughs> exactly i mean that that is a good comparison that is exactly what it is i mean it was douchey it was douchey like, that is not Again, and it just shows what craven bitches these people are. They don't have a pure feeling in their body. It's all about stupid trophies for them. Stupid, ugly... Okay. So, um, that's the way you were feeling back then. Where, where are you now? I think I feel the same way, but I do have more hatred and resentment towards the upper classes uh, every passing day. So I think I probably hate them more if I think about it. I think there should be an uprising and we should take back the team away from them. So what do you mean when you say take back the team, implying that there was a point at which it was owned by somebody other than a billionaire? No, I'm not saying that it, that, that I understand it. I understand the history. Okay. But um, take it back in the sense that um, – we should take back our country. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good time when everybody's dead. So let's take it back. So the people who That's aren't dead. So, yeah. We don't have to have Marxism to just think that we should be able to have fucking sports without having to be at the mercy of some douchey billionaire real estate family. In one of our episodes, we examined the origins of what appeared to be a extremely successful marketing program, but turned out um, not exactly to be um, a product of the Lerner family uh, marketing department. The marketing people jumped on this stay in the fight thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
the marketing department did not come up with this. This was organic. Dave, when Davey was at his lowest, when they had lost, you know, 31 of their first 50 games, he personally went out and at his own expense bought these t-shirts to try to buck up his guys. You know, he bought t-shirts for everybody in the dugout, everybody on the whole team, and he bought like, you know, 50, 60 t-shirts, gave them to them. And then... Um, miraculously, they did start. I'm not saying it had anything to do with the T-shirts, but miraculously, you know, things did turn around. It was mostly because Trey Turner and Rendon came back from, uh, you know, the IR or the DL or yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, but then, the, but then they were they were everybody was wearing the T-shirts. You know, when they would like they would put them on, and they didn't have any ML. B or nationals they weren't violating any licensing it would just say stay in the fight and um that be, that was just their slogan and it, apparently it's not unheard of you know for for uh, teams to come up with their own little internal um slogans you know for a season and 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 you know make t-shirts and stuff we did this in Gannett you know like departments would come up with their own t-shirts and we do this, we do that. And it was like, nobody gave a shit, you know, do this in kindergarten. Yeah, exactly. 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 So they're just doing that. And then everybody, but because they did come back from being the second worst team in baseball, the marketing part department did jump on it. Eventually it took them a few weeks. And now it's like every commercial on Masson and TBS is like, stay in the fight. It's like, it's like David Martinez was the greatest marketing genius on the planet. So, <laughs> but that's, it's just funny how that worked out. And, and, and a lot of people think that it was just some marketing bullshit that, that the marketing department at Nationals Learner Company came up with. But it wasn't. You know, they just jumped on it. But it's just it's just kind of a weird kind of a thing. I, I didn't know if you had any insight in that. Well, I think it goes to show that managerial bullshit and marketing bullshit are one and the same. <laughs> You're saying him running out late night to make some t-shirts. What is the difference between a marketer and a and a sports team? Manager? Well, a marketer is they're judged on very different me metrics. I mean, Davey just wants sure, to sure, win. Of okay, but hold on, hold on. In yeah. the sense that a marketer has to come up with like some bullshit thing to say about a fizzy soda and how it's going to make you a great person. And get you laid. Sport, yeah, exactly. Like you're gonna and make you red. attractive, and and you're gonna uh, get yeah. this like hot girl. Right. You're gonna have a sports car. Yep. Sports team, like they have to play the game. Like the thing that bothers me about staying the fight thing is like, what? Like they have any choice? Like they are on all under contract. This is their job. <laughs> They're not like it's not like they can oh, go home. Like yeah. hey, no, I'm, I don't want to stay in the fight. I'm just gonna leave. Like no, they. Don't <laughs> Right. So it's not like right, and they've got contracts coming up. I mean, especially people like Rendon and stuff. Just like, okay, I'm motivated. I don't need a T-shirt. I'm fucking motivated. Yeah, I just don't get that. You don't see someone's like, oh, it's Thursday, but you wish it was Friday. Stay in the fight. <laughs> Stay in the fight. You're gonna make it through the end of the work week. Um, it's very ridiculous. I mean, everything, all of the sports motivation speak is 
totally vacuous. But sometimes it tips over into working. And those are like magical moments in marketing or in or in sports movies where they're like intense speeches that people like rewatch on YouTube and quote all the time. Well, I think you just said it there. You kind of wrapped it up. And that may be one of those, at least for the people in the marketing department, because like that when they did that parade, everything had stay in the fight on it and they sold about a, a half a million shirts. So they could have sold something with just like dingbats on it, and the DC people would have bought it. These well, are Nats fans. Yeah, it's I, not hard to get them to hand ouch, over their bad. Okay, you can't say the DC metro area population is, you know, I mean, from a uh, education standpoint, demographics, IQ, blah, 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 blah. We're not talking, you know, southern Mississippi here. I mean, it's not the dumbest people on the if they were, If they were not the um, total northern Virginia, friggin' UVA, William and Mary. Well, no, no, no. Remember, most Lanyard of these people, people that they are from are. D.C. and Maryland. We're, we're like a third or a quarter. It's the same type of people. No, it's it the is. same disgusting breed. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not the city of D.C. The, the people that like the Nats doesn't really represent, like, D.C. It represents, like, a very narrow uh, part of the city. No, it doesn't. It's, it's like... No, you're right. It's not like the Southeast Quadrant, ex- except that the stadium gives jobs to a lot of those people. That might otherwise have well, jobs. It it's a great job. As you yourself have said, more. it's one of the greatest job programs in the District of Columbia. Of course. You've yeah, said that in great. previous podcasts. But those are not the people that are at the parade buying a fucking Davy t-shirt. <laughs> well, no, maybe. You're saying the girl no, serving hot dogs or beer. Of course not. No. I don't think they care. They're like, when can we go when this last call? <laughs> it's like, when will the eighth <laughs> inning get here? Thanks to these drunk yuppies. Oh, my God. Let's dive into something that's more actually inside the game and uh, certainly no review of the 2019 postseason would be complete without the last minute, like three hours before game time, announcement that Max Scherzer was not going to play game five Hell of yes. the let's fucking World Series. So let's this see what, what you I thought about that, honey bunny. <laughs> there, there are two issues here, um, which I think are worth discussing. Well, okay, if you've got more. But I think the two I wanted to discuss was, did Scherz, uh, why did Scherz bag? And number two, you know, what's going to happen with Joe? So can we start with Max? Did Max legitimately have an injury or did he just panic out of the steel? What do you think? Well, you sent me a text that said. Um, I know, I know, I know. I'm asking what you think. What, do you, what was your first thought? When you heard it, because I heard it from you. Well, my first thought was, okay, so he was in game one of the World Series. He was sweating like bullets and he was in an enclosed stadium and it was air conditioned to 68 degrees. He was sweating like bullets. 
He did give up three runs in the first inning, but he held it to five. He, you know, first inning, three runs. He and then nothing. He shut out the next four innings, and and the bullpen picked it up from there. They, I think, they had Corbin come in and blah 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 blah. And they won the game. They won the game. So um, I, you know, and everybody was saying, okay, now it's going to be a, a rematch because he was pitching against uh, Cole. That was the guy he was pitching against who didn't do that well because we ended up winning 5-4, although it was kind of a fight right up to the end. So, I, you know, I I didn't, I mean, I, I keep remembering because you and I watched together the 2017 series when Dusty brought him in to relieve in game five yeah, and, and saw him completely poop his pants and lose that get blow a lead lose the game we lost the lds so i don't know if he's a pooper so i don't know if he's a pooper he's a pooper dad i'm telling you if he doesn't get cy young award when he wakes up in the morning (laughs) he's not himself together and and that's why the his start on whatever day the first game of the series was was so bad yeah was because he had to work the whole time, and he's not used to having to work the whole time. Oh, well, it's a tough team. It's a tough team. So it, it may be true. You may be right. I'm not. I certainly would not. Uh, I didn't say. He what may I, be faking I, it. He may be just saying, "Oh yeah, my neck hurts." Oh, you know, I went to the guy. When I when I Google it and I read some of the preliminary articles that have been written and whatever, a lot of people seem to be to believe it. A lot of people seem to be repeating the line that, oh, this is Max Scherzer, the ultimate competitor. You know, if if he's not pitching in the World Series start, he must be on death's door. It must be truly something horrible um, because nothing would keep him from, from pitching this game. And I don't know what the evidence of that is. I don't know what these where these people are getting their information on Max Scherzer's um in inner life or his mental process mm-hmm. or his character because I, I mean certainly he's a competitor but like yeah. sometimes competitive people you know they want to be perfect so bad that they'll just be nothing if they can't be that you know so so what do you think um i am a scherzer truther okay and i do not believe the official line that he had some kind of mysterious fucking injury that appeared the morning he was to pitch and disappeared immediately after the game's end. I mean, it's incomprehensible. There's no evidence. They didn't sell it well. This is the WMD of sports. I just don't believe it. It was a lie. Yeah, well, it, it was kind of what you were even thinking at that time. So you're, you're, yeah, you're I didn't using that. I, I thought, I thought yeah. this is on it. This is the mold. This is Max's mold boy moment. No, you actually say that. I didn't He's play. He's taking a page. You went on for another process. 15 minutes. I just tried to. Yeah, I could that. go on for another 15 hours. <laughs> it was just so dumb and that horrible. They rolled him out on his, on his gurney. To the press conference, <laughs> and he, yeah, he's gonna jump. Well, no, one of your points was that he showed up at the press conference and he seemed fine. He seemed like he had there was actually, right. even also, though he was like, claiming that his wife dressed him and all these other things, he just showed up and, and he seemed fine. 
and he wasn't like on a respirator and you know he didn't have you know covid 19 or anything like that it was like, yeah i can't play but um you know and strasburg didn't even do that dignity you know he just like through channels said oh remember it's kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. you were comparing it to him and because i got a flu in the hotel my penthouse i got a flu there was some mold in in the hotel, right, right? Right, and and there was a long line at the elevators of the new hotel that they moved him to. Right. Um, and he okay. The thing about Strauss is that Strauss has like truly, genuinely has disdain for all of humanity, and he is a solipsist, and he's just like, I am the only person that exists. I am the only person that matters. And he had no. He loves his girls. Just, he like, loves his girls. I think. I have no idea. Um. Psychopaths are good at like faking it, <laughs> but like, um, come on, you look, is, like, you, you, you threw yourself, you did a Maya Culpa on uh, Strasbourg and um, yeah, 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 because okay. of the pitching, because of the quality of of his athleticism, not because of who he is as a person. I'm not gonna put him up for. The you Nobel still think he's a dangerous guy. psychotic, and he and Trump should share a room, a rubber room somewhere. No, 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 no. Um, he, he's, I think he's a harmless kind of solipsis. Um, but okay. he, when you'll he have to define for me and our listeners what that means. Are you saying he's more of a uh, sociopathic individual? No, it's just like he really only sees himself as the only thing existing. Isn't that the de- definition of a uh, clinical narcissism? No, I think a narcissist just only cares about themselves. <laughs> okay, versus not uh, thinking you're the only thing in the universe and everything else is just a projection? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, so in Strauss's press conference, you could just tell that the difference between Strauss and Schurz was that Strauss does not give a shit. He doesn't feel he owes anything to you. He's like... If it's fucking cloudy and I don't want to do it, then I'm not going to. And you can deal with it. But Max, like, Max felt kind of guilty. And I think you could see it in the press conference. He's so, like, kind of wants to explain himself. And he's not very articulate. So he's, like, struggling. And He and knows like, there's all even, those young people you like you clutching here? a ball, waiting for him to, to glance at you and sign your fucking ball. I know, and he... Like, you're still an eight-year-old waiting. was like, Max, sign my goddamn ball. If I think I said at one point, how is it that he's in the Stephen Hawking chair overnight? <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> Actually, I didn't capture that. Maybe you did say it. I didn't find it. That's, I think, what I, a think great I said quote. that. I was like, one day I'm a major league pitcher. <laughs> I'm a fucking... I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then I'm Stephen Hawking. In 16 hours. And then, and then I'm back again to being a major league. Right, right, right. And I'm Bruce Willis. Right. Just like, I just don't think that that's a real thing that happened. And if he really was that bad off, he would not have done a press conference. He wouldn't have been like, yes, I want to get into a room full of reporters asking me about this right now. Wanted to talk about your views on Davy have several clips there. They kind of evolved and zigzagged. I mean, I have to say, I thought Davy managed the last game really, really well. Wow. That's a big the, admission on your part. 
given how even in our last podcast you called him an idiot. So <laughs> our idiot manager, <laughs> you did. I can replay it if I need he to. He did. He did well. He did well. No, like he I has. said, I just felt yes. like he was on. He was in front of things as opposed to behind them, which is how he seemed to be for most of the season. It was like someone came out. Okay, we do the intentional walk. Okay, we're bringing right. Rainy in to no, like right. let him adjust to the situation. Um, there weren't these like head scratching lengths of time between pitching decisions being made. Right. You know, every, every this is the this is it. This is what everyone plays for. It's the World Series. Okay, so freeze frame. Let's uh, shoot for same episode slightly different perception. Wait, I want to talk about the Davey interview. Okay, go ahead. Please, I'd love it. Davey comes out, mm-hmm. and he's so much more, again, compared to Strauss, practically anyone would look like the most charming person you ever met. But <laughs> Davey, <laughs> Davey has, uh, I couldn't think of a person, so I just had to... Davey was noticeably more relaxed than I have ever seen him before. Like, he's clearly, if the rest of the team is more confident because of them doing it well these days, Davey is is definitely a beneficiary of that as well. Or it's the heart mats. Or it's the heart mats. Or a combination. Yeah, it could have been his his near-death experience. I don't know what it is. He's got a lot going on in his life, obviously. Yep. But... He he was like, you know, they're asking him, how did you make these players believe that it wasn't over, you know, that they could still get here? And these guys never, they never came, gave up. They never pointed fingers. And that was the biggest thing. I told them, I said, hey, if we keep this amongst ourselves mm-hmm. and keep it in the, in the clubhouse, this is going to be, this is going to be special. Mm-hmm. And it's, this is about us. Don't worry about what's going on around. Don't listen to the hoopla. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get fired. You know, regardless of what people think, I'm not getting fired, you know, so let's keep playing, mm-hmm. you know. They was going after you. They were going so. after me, though. <laughs> 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 I ain't going to tell the players that, but when I went home, I was like, man, I might, I might come back tomorrow. No? <laughs> and then he said when he would go home, he would think that he really was getting fired, but he would just say that to them <laughs> um, for their benefit. Yeah, he won't be he won't be fired. No, I don't this think year. so. <laughs> That's okay. That flashpoint of time was we had won the first two. We came after that four game sweep of the Cardinals in the championship series. We had just won two games against the Astros in their home stadium. And there was a uh, a, a, a palatable um, feeling of optimism, right? And so obviously your views were reflective of that. You seemed a little more. Well, everybody loves a winner. Yep. And um, I don't really think I evolved on it. I just think Davey evolved on it. I mean, okay. he did improve. He he gained a lot of confidence. And the thing I said about how he was in front of problems instead of behind them, as he had been before. I mean, you could just watch him in like in the regular season. He just kind of like, He'd be kind of like biting his lips and like kind of like pacing around the dugout, looking around, kind of like not really sure what to do, whether to intervene. Um, And in the playoffs and in the World Series, he was like, boom, like there was a clear plan and like he had a contingent um, 
uh, contingent plan for no for any weird thing that happened. And and I, I I just call it like I see it. Okay, I call the balls and I call the strikes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Chief Justice Cassia Roberts. I no, I I I think you're right. I, I do, you, do you think. When did his cardiac event happen? It was even before the playoffs. It happened right? near, but near the end of the regular season. Right, right, right. And then he, Not like you say, after. he came, he had more clarity when he got back. Like he just sat there for a week in the ICU and thought about it or something. Well, he was just, he was more relaxed. Like even in, in his interviews, you would expect like, he had gotten more comfortable with being because when you become a manager of a team, you become a, like a national figure. And he was just right. Like There's a only thirty teams, so, especially when you're in the playoffs. You're he was never a star player, right? No, but he I, he was one of these guys, you know, like I don't know Ferrara or uh, Para. You know, he just he was able to have like a sixteen year career, just like uh, bouncing from team to team, always getting some kind of a position because he was good enough you know it wasn't like a guy who rose and then crashed like worth or whatever he was just always like that guy. you always needed that bench player yeah he he never had he was never a never public facing guy no no not like not like dusty like dusty or matt I was going to send you some. Uh, Matt, was, Matt was like time. a really cool guy for the Giants. Dusty was like going to be the next Hang Aaron at one point. Um, they but, had but, great and, careers as players before they became managers, but not but Dusty. Dusty, when he came to us, was already a successful manager. Yes. Davey was a new manager. He he right. had like assistant positions and stuff. Right. So I think that it's right that he was nervous, that he was scared. Obviously he was going to constantly be on the chopping block. He made crumbs from the Lerner family. Yep. And he knew that he would be um, disowned by the Nats fans and by the organization if he didn't deliver. And that's a high pressure situation. So yeah, I have some sympathy for that, but I also think that he's just kind of like, dull and he was like not totally he didn't have like a clear vision and strategy at the beginning but he really did step up during the playoffs and that's a big part of why we won and I don't know if you're gonna play it but you know in the in game seven I think that AJ Hinch made a major strategic error in pulling um I don't remember the name of the of their pitcher, but he pulled a pitcher at a what? critical moment and replaced it with replaced him with someone who totally you crumbled. Read my mind. Okay, That's okay. Coming up next, you want to hear it? Uh-huh. It's just one of those rules of baseball. It's not the solo home runs or the home runs that are gonna fuck up a pitcher. It's the it's the traffic on the bases, and he didn't have any of that. He should have stuck with Granky, and I think the game would have ended up very differently well you're probably right i mean we wanted to get into their bullpen and we got into their bullpen it was good for us but it was just like you as you want to see the other team play the best they can and be managed the best they can and they weren't 
I don't think they were on this game. I don't think I think AJ Hinch just seems good. If you watch the his press conferences, which I have been watching this series, he is the most articulate manager probably in Major League Baseball. Like he's one of the only people who like can form a sentence beyond like, "Hey, yeah, I believe in our guys. Yeah, we're gonna get it done. We're gonna keep going." Now. We're gonna... <laughs> which is like what Davey says. Davey just like is a poster in a gym. That's all that he is. He's the manager of a winning, winning team, and A.J. Hinge isn't because, yeah, I think he peed himself, and he was like, hey, got to take out Granky. And then he chose, instead of going to Garrett Cole, which everyone... I know, everybody thought, thought Cole oh. was going to come in. I mean, because it's all man, uh, hands on deck. I mean, even though he had pitched two days before or a day before, who cares? Uh, you got six months, uh, well, not six months. You got four and a half months off. Yeah, and he's, and he's, he's like a Bryce Harper type guy. He's, he's leaving the team. He's about to be a free agent. Yeah, exactly. He is. Don't interrupt your enemy while they're making a mistake. Right. Hinch made a mistake. That's brilliant. And Davey was the direct benefit. And right. so if it was a battle between managers, I think that was one of the key moments. And again, you win when, you're, when your opponent fucks up. No, and, that's and so true. That I mean, Davey. that's like a, a, one of the 20 principles of Sun Tzu or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't don't stop your enemy from fucking himself. I mean, they do that like Stalin and Hitler or whatever. Here's the thing. I, mean, I think listeners want to know what Ka- listeners know. Cassia is not Mister Rogers. <laughs> you, you're not. You know, you're not like throw us. Oh, this is daily affirmation. Yeah, we're all great. We're all awesome. Everybody's perfect. You. You're you're a little critical of these guys. They want to know where you stand on Davy now. You went up and down. You zigzagged. You were critical. We, you know, in those first two part two one uh, greatest episodes, you really gave Davy no, and so did I. So did I. Although I was sort of like I'm more the sort of bleeding heart. I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a liberal, but sort of like sympathetic, empathetic Catholic altar boy. You know, it's like no, don't. Beat up on Davey. And you were like, dush, dush, dush. So you were like Bruce Willis, like killing the Nazi. So where are you and Davey? Give it to us. Um, well, I'll just start by saying, okay. you know, half the fun of being a baseball fan and supporting a baseball team is hating that baseball team a significant portion of the time. Well, that's at least like, the management the and the ownership. I don't know. If... And the players. Okay. Oh, totally the players. All yeah, right. it's like, I mean, have you ever heard sports radio? That's their bread and butter. Is well, it certainly is in, like, in New York and Philly. We're a little more nicer down here. Um, I, I'm fine with Davey. I'm fine with Davey. The problem is we don't like, yeah, we still, he's still the world series guy. And it's really a, what have you done for me lately situation? So if we were playing baseball right now, which we're not, you know, we, we should be. I know. And, and we don't know when we will again. Yeah. We may never live to play baseball. Well, that might be a little exaggeration. I'm fine with Davy. I'm fine with Davy. I don't. I don't know what you want me to say. Right. I don't feel like I changed my. To so exonerate Davy. I got new information. I never 
unjustly beat up on him. Uh, I don't think. I may have said too much about, oh, he's going to get fired. He's going to get fired. But that was part of the fun we and part did. of the drama. No, it was part of the pod. Yeah, of course. But even if you don't have a pod, like even if you're just a watcher, I, I think that that's how a lot of a lot of Nats fans were feeling. And it's certainly what the commentariat was saying. Now we have to talk about the re-enter the arena that went on for the entire season. We did a huge episode on it in 2019, but then it raised its ugly head in the playoffs and the series. The dirty umps were back. That's my narrative. Your narrative is more closer to incompetence, but let's hear what we said in the episodes. I did want to talk about the home plate umpire for game two. Looked it up. His yeah, name he is, yeah, yeah. His name is Doug Eddings. He received, after last night, universal criticism on Twitter, on radio call-in shows today, and uh, the sports media for the way he called that game. And uh, I remember it was just even the first inning last night I received a text from you that said, this ump is making shit calls. <laughs> and I was yeah, like editing our podcast at the same time. So I wasn't paying c- complete attention. But I mean, you were on it. <laughs> well, I don't know if he was he was dirty. It seemed like he made bad calls that were bad for both pitchers. Well, that that could be the case. He's never been in World Series before, but he's been in a, a ton of ALDS wild cards and a few CLS, although he has received a lot of criticism. Historically over 20 years, Doug Eddings has called a wider pitch zone than all other umps in his peer group, which would favor the pitchers, right? But suddenly on this game, Mm -hmm. for some reason, his strike zone inexplicably became as narrow as the Empire State Building. And that's what you guys were saying, right? <laughs> so it's like everything was a ball. It was like, oh my God, that's right down the center. It's a ball! <laughs> I mean, it wasn't quite that bad, but it was just things that were like kind of on the edge. And then and then Strauss. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're going to say. Strauss made a face. He did more than a face. He yelled at him in the sixth inning. Remember when he was like, they were like, Davey was like making him do that sixth inning and you could tell he was suffering because he was like at at 112 pitches, more than he's ever done in his life in one game. And it was only six innings because that was their strategy was to kind of uh, burn us. They did the same thing to Max. They did the same thing to him is to, because they don't chase pitches. So all those change-ups and, and everything else, they, they just don't swing at it. If they're not right in the center of the strike zone, they don't. So there's just tons and tons of balls. The pitch count goes up, and that was their strategy to get rid of our starters. And it was sort of working. It certainly worked for sure. It only lasted five. Um, Strauss lasted six, but he was hurting and he yelled, he yelled from the mound at the pitcher. And I was like, or not the pitcher, the ump. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to throw him out. (laughs) He didn't. 
he didn't. And actually, the and he was yelling right in that last. He was like between uh, out two and three, called a third strike in that last at bat. So Strauss got what he wanted. I don't know. I think there's there's a range of reactions that are allowed. Well, they are. Um, but I mean, they have a ton of discretion. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah, just like this whole pitch zone thing. Like it says Yeah, I, mean, we, I don't I mean I, go ahead. I don't think the game I don't think the game went drastically different because of the umpire. Because, uh, again, Verlander definitely the same thing was happening to both pitches. I don't think it was a dirty situation so much as it was like this guy should retire. He's just too old, and he he couldn't handle it. He's only he fifty one. Like he <laughs> he's only fifty one years old. He looked old. about a hundred. Does he? Well, I mean, he he's fat. Old, he's not. He needs, he's not looking good. He's not taking care of he, himself. Well, I looked him up. I don't know what was going on. Even though they keep putting him in the teams that are doing postseason, he's got a history of some very, um, very dramatic criticisms from. You're right. Both teams that he's calling you know when you're the first base ump you know and you're just calling like whether a guy is safe or not you know nobody really cares about that guy you never hear about that guy but when you're the home plate ump you know and you and you play the whole game you don't get a relief you know you do the whole freaking nine to 15 or 18 innings it's all you baby and you're on the you're on the tv the entire time Okay, hold on. Hold your bullets. One more. Oh, my God. Even though we ended up winning, had we not won, because of all the things that transpired, I think that crew would have to be in the witness protection program right now. In fact, I think they may be in the program anyway, even though we did win, because at least here people are still wringing their hands over the dirty umps and all these particular plays, deservedly so. Even you you were talking about uh, Astros manager Hinch. He even said the umps were calling bad calls on the Nats. He even said that. Their ball and strike calls made no sense. If you look exactly. at the graphics that exactly. overlay pitches, I mean, it was like balls were strikes, strikes were balls. There was zero consistency. It was confusing. <laughs> I mean, but it wasn't yeah. just randomly sporadically placed. It was always like bases loaded. <laughs> you know, we're we're two outs. It's you know one more strike, and it's the end of the inning. It was always strategically located to fuck us. I don't think that's completely true. There were bad calls on the Astros as well. There were so when there were so bad calls in favor of our pitcher and our pitchers because I was watching every pitch. And I was like, these just these calls are terrible. Like literally complete amateurs could call this game better. Okay, there you go. Kasim, what do you mm-hmm. think now? That's your sweep of views of the ums. And of course we had the early season thing that was covered in the greatest hits and stuff like that. But um where do you stand now in these fucking ums? <laughs> Uh, we have an ump problem. I think we, <laughs> we should fire all of them and start afresh. Um, I mean, you generally hate the umps more than me, or at least you think they're more malicious. I just think that they're I, no. I just think stupid they're, and dr- bad they're, they're yeah. Job. Malicious is a is a small word. I think, like you said, 
why were they making bad calls against both teams? Because, you know, you can bet on even a single hit. It's not just oh, yeah, uh, yeah. one guy, one team winning by X. You can bet on almost anything. So incrementally, you know, as a strategy, if they're like, well, I can throw, I can, I can fuck, I can fuck the Astros. I can fuck the Nationals and still make money. Fuck them both alternately. So right. uh, I'm these fine guys, with conspiracy theories. I'm go, just not fine with this particular one because I think they're too stupid to pull off um, like a betting rigging. But anyways, go on. No, I'm just saying the bottom line is that these guys in the the constellation of the baseball world okay the people who sell concessions you know the beer men and the girls selling hot dogs and stuff like they're making 15 70 bucks an hour right okay so and but the players themselves are making millions and millions the managers are the most underpaid as we have both agreed i mean they're only making they're making less than a million but guess who makes the least in the actual thing of the diegesis of the uh, baseball world are the diegesis. Wow. And you're out here accusing me of using big words. Those guys are making like we had talked. I mean, the, they, they start at like a hundred thousand dollars a year and maybe the best guy is like 300 or whatever. So they're looking at everybody and they're saying, we're the lowest. Look, we we feel like we are janitors in this thing in terms of they are lower than janitors. They are janitors do a better job, and yet they have power. So you can't. How can you? Like you, there was one part that I cut out. We could put it back in. You had a conspiracy theory that the Astros when. When Max Scherzer didn't play Game I was Five, just talking shit. Okay. I wouldn't say I had fine, a fine. Of course you were. That's that's what this whole podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> but but the whole idea that somehow the Astros could uh, buy out a guy who makes twenty seven million a year, I mean that would be their whole payroll, you know, to bribe him. But you know what? You can bribe a guy who makes hundred thousand, right? Give right. him an extra hundred, two hundred. 300,000 by throwing uh-huh. a thing. That's yeah. bribable. That's bribable. That's bribable. Yep. Um, and it's legal. Thanks right, to right. the Cabo Fascist Supreme Court of the United States. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely possible that they could be bribing their services to like sports betting people who are like, oh, you know, Zim is going to strike out. So I'm going to totally fuck his calls. Right. Yeah, that's possible. I don't think, what, what is the evidence for it? No, we did talk about the evidence. We talked about, you know, I cut out. I mean, I could put it back in, but it taught out all the, the pitch cast reports. And remember, pitch cast is owned by the MLB But, but that's not evidence. You're just looking at numbers and saying, no, making uh, how can that not be evidence? Up. It's actual empirical data. That's not evidence. Of, that's not A evidence. camera that's is not evidence. A slow motion camera. That's- that How could that not be evidence? What is not, evidence? Oh if a fucking slow scientific, like a, a 2,000 frames per second camera is not evidence? What the fuck is? Wait. I'm not saying it's not evidence that the call was wrong. We know they make wrong calls all, all of the time. 
that's not evidence that they're colluding with some kind of betting. Well, no, okay. No, you're right. That's what I'm saying. No, I, I, I'm. Stuff, it's circumstantial. We haven't proven that they are receiving money from the mob. And then, like we I'm also discussed, maybe, maybe it's actually coming from the TV networks because they wanted these games to go to a game seven because that would or make the, them another or, 50, 75, $100 million in advertising. Like we disappointed the networks in sweeping the Cardinals in four games, which should have been a seven game series. That's what the networks were hoping for, but we right, swept them. So they missed three games. They missed a hundred million dollars in revenue for them right, right. and yeah. their shareholders and bonuses for the executives, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe, you know, and gamblers are too small time. Maybe you've got to be um, a, a, an executive Viacom. Yeah, it could be the corporate or media or, or it could just be the MLB. Right. The MLB just being like, hey, we're gonna put we're gonna push this out to seven, so do what you fucking gotta do. It could be. I mean, at some point the money becomes so crazy. Cancel Manfred. How do you Hansel turn Manfred. it away? How do you turn it away? Um, you have a fucking backbone. It's not hard to do. It's just these people are lizards. They're right, but nobody people. has ever offered you millions of dollars to do something that you could Absolutely maybe not. possibly um, justify by some, you know, oh, it's like, hey, Casa, no, all you have to do is turn your head away and you don't have to do anything. Just don't look at yeah. it. That's because and you I get a $3 million dollar bonus and then you can have a, a coronavirus for five years and you'll be fine in your beach house. That's because I'm not a 50-pound, overweight, old, white guy who should have been fired a long time ago. Right, exactly. That is my point. That guy is not living great. And, like, if somebody goes up to a guy who, you know, is making, you know... I know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not possible. I okay. completely understand your argument. But it's circumstantial. Literally You're saying no, circumstantial it's, because we don't approve... Literally, right. no. It's 100% speculation. You're familiar with Occam's razor. Yeah, of course. Okay. So Which I have cited on the podcast. You have. I'm just saying when a guy who's a professional umpire makes shitty. obviously bad calls that are empirically empirically proven to be outside the strike zone or within the strike zone, depending on what they the circumstances bad, are. They make bad okay. calls all season. They make bad calls all season. I know. But when it's 20%, it should no be 2%. no one is watching or care about. What does I, that tell I, I, you? This, this combo is over. Oh, my God. We have okay. to rehash this again. We've all had right. the same conversation. No, we have. Like for April. No, we, we started. That's correct. This has gone a very long time. This is the longest conversation on the planet. This is like the Supreme Court argument over abortion. This is like the but... power of <laughs> myth. The Supreme Court <laughs> argument for like an hour. Okay, I'll cut a lot of it. I'm just going to take a few cuts of this, but it was good to get it out. <laughs> got it. I just, you know, this is like constipation. You just got to get it out, man. You just got to take a lot of prune juice and get it out. Oh. <laughs> 
quick reminder, you can find this series on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, as well as many of your favorite player apps. You can follow us on Twitter at at CheapSeatsDC, and you can reach us by email at thecheapseatsdc at gmail.com. See you next time on From the Cheap Seats. Take me out to the ball game. The From the Cheap Seats podcast is a public service provided by Thad Helsley Media LLC, all rights reserved.